Well, I wonder where you find hope from these days. Hope. It can be difficult to come across, can't it? Because uh, the world can feel so hopeless. Uh, I'm inclined uh, in my uh, badder moments in life to kind of doom spiral down, you know, social media rabbit warrens, looking at all the things that are happening in the world and thinking, what hope do we have? The world's going to be over any moment. It's going to go to war, nuclear holocaust, the collapse of Western civilization, and all the pain that that's going to involve for those of us who live there. All sorts of things on different days cause me to uh, spiral into hopelessness. And you can imagine, can't you, that... Uh, if you were inclined, though God's people weren't particularly, but if you were inclined to listen to the prophet Isaiah come and tell you, hey, you haven't lived up to God's standards and he's going to judge you and that means basically uh, you're going to get kicked out of the land by the big bad guys who live next door, that you too could end up in a bit of a spiral of hopelessness. But, of course, for those who had ears to hear, th throughout God's promise of bringing his judgment and his justice to bear on the people of God for failing to live the way God had called them to. Uh, there's hope every time. And today we're thinking about this hope and God's invitation through the prophet Isaiah for us to trust in God's hope. You know, we're in a series, a six-week series, trying to look at the whole of the book of Isaiah, uh, a task that I've naively thought we can pull off. Uh, Isaiah, a big book, 66 chapters in all. Uh, so we've got to get through, what's that, 11 chapters a week on average uh, in order to do the whole thing in six weeks. I think, that, I think my maths is correct. It's been a while since I did my times tables. Uh, but uh, what we're doing this week, uh, having last week looked at those first five chapters uh, and the, the introduction to the book, and, and thinking about what it meant for us to trust the fact that God is a God of justice and that this is good news, today we're going to consider God's hope. Uh, and as we go on over the next weeks, God's victory, God's gift, God's servant and God's future. If you weren't here last week uh, or uh, you missed it, uh, just for the sake of recap, we saw that God is a God of justice and he is a God who must deal with sin. And the problem for God's people is, uh, though God had called them out of slavery uh, in Egypt, as we read about in the book of Exodus, uh, and though he'd given them the law by which to live and to order themselves, which was meant to be different to the people around them so that they would be like a shining example of what it looked like to live as the creator of the world called people to live, God's people weren't that good at listening to what God said and they kept listening to what those around them said. They kept looking like the nations around them rather than living differently to point the nations to God. And of course, what that meant ultimately was a lot of, of sin, of injustice. And so instead of being, as we saw last week, in chapter 5, the fruitful vineyard that has made use of all the blessings God has bestowed upon them, they've ignored God and now God is going to bring about his judgment. 
And we saw that as people who live the other side of the cross, we know how God can hold love and justice together. He does it on the cross. And of course, you can hear, if you want to go in more detail, let me encourage you to go back and look at last week's on the website. But today we consider this next section from chapter 6 through 12. Uh, and in chapter 6, we read of the commissioning of Isaiah by God to bring his word to the people. His lips are seared by a lump of coal, we read. Uh, but it's interesting that uh, his commission is... Uh, it's not one of great fanfare. It's almost like a commission of disappointment. Uh, have a look, if you've got your Bibles there, uh, at Isaiah chapter 6. And in verse 9... We read, God saying to Isaiah, Go and tell this people, be ever hearing and never understanding, be ever seen but never perceiving. In his very commission, Isaiah is told that his ministry is, in one sense, going to be unsuccessful. And that's, uh, I think, important for us to note because it actually reminds us about what success looks like in the kingdom of God. So often we think of success as uh, people responding well to the things that we say. And if, if people don't respond well to the things we say, that uh, we need to kind of rethink what we're saying and of course you see that the end result of that sort of thinking is ultimately you have these churches out there that reinvent the gospel so that people will hopefully be more favourable to it in the hope that more people will want to be part of it. But Isaiah's mission is to tell God's people the truth that God is a God of justice and that he is going to bring his judgment and that if they turn back to him there will be some hope for some. But most people are going to be ever hearing and never understanding, ever seen, but never perceiving. They're not going to listen. That must have been disheartening for Isaiah as he started his ministry, mustn't it? But success for Isaiah looked like faithfulness to proclaiming the word of God, and it's the same for us too. So Isaiah's given this commission... But of course, the other thing we learn about uh, in chapter 6, as he's commissioned, is that we're reading about a real bloke in a real time period uh, when there was real stuff happening. It's so easy sometimes to think of these books of the Bible from the Old Testament as uh, things that are not connected to real life. But Isaiah places his commissioning in context, verse 1. In, that, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. His vision happens in the year that King Uzziah died. We know when this was. And people who are a lot smarter than me know from not just the Bible, but other historical records, that this means that this was happening around the year 740 BC. We know 
who became king next, King Ahaz. And we know that King Ahaz left a little bit to be desired, as, well, most of the kings did. But in chapter 7, we read about how King Ahaz is, I guess, just exactly like the kind of people Isaiah was told at his commissioning uh, people were going to be like, ignoring him. And Ahaz ignores Isaiah in chapter 7, And we see ultimately in the end uh, that as king, instead of trusting God and trusting Isaiah's words to him, he chooses to trust the nations, those uh, people around him. And he makes an alliance with the Assyrians, which ultimately, Isaiah warns, is going to lead to Israel's eventual destruction at their hands. I think we ought to cut. Uh, he has a little bit of slack, you can imagine, have feeling the weight of responsibility and looking at the nations around you and looking at your own resources while you might think that this was a good idea to, to buddy up with the, the big nation at, on one side of you so that you felt less threatened by the big nation on the other side of you. But as one scholar says, it's like a mouse asking a cat to help it against another cat. In the end, you get eaten. And that's what happens, isn't it, to poor old Ahaz and his kingdom. God brings about his judgment on them for failing to trust him. And what we read Isaiah warn about and prophesy uh, as, the, as the chapters progress is that as God does bring about his judgment through the Assyrians, it's not going to be total annihilation. Uh, the people of God are not going to totally disappear, but it will be reduced the people of God will be reduced to a burnt stump. We read that some will survive the judgment, chapter 10, verse 20. In that day, the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. And a remnant will return, a remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. So there's going to be some people who stay faithful in the middle of all this, who find their hope in God even when he's bringing about his judgment through uh, rolling this other kingdom through the middle of their homeland. A remnant will return to the mighty God. And from that remnant of faithful people will come a shoot in our reading today. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. But of course, this isn't the first little bit of hope that we've had throughout this section of Isaiah. This isn't the first message Isaiah has prophesied of hope in the midst of God's judgment. In fact, we see in these chapters the promise of a child. There'll be promises that you're familiar with uh, as if, you're, if you've been around churches at Christmas time. In Isaiah 7, he, he promises this, Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Or in, verse, uh, in chapter 9, verse 6, 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And now I think what we're seeing in chapter 11 in the reading uh, that we had uh, Andrea read to us is that the, the shoot that comes from the faithful stump is indeed this child who will lead the faithful remnant. And so he's described the spirit of the Lord, verse 2 of chapter 11, will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He's going to be a good leader, trusting in God perfectly, and he'll be a leader and a king who judges and uh, brings about perfect righteousness, verses 3 to 5. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And as he does this, as he trusts God perfectly and, and judges uh, and brings about justice Perfectly, so comes peace. Verse 6, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and, little, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like the ox, the infant will play near the cobra's den, the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains. Again, remember, Hebrew poetry uses metaphor. I don't think we're looking for necessarily these exact things to occur, but it's the picture of, of perfect peace so vividly portrayed in those words. And as he brings about perfect trust, perfect adjustment, peace on earth, the world will be filled with the knowledge of God. For the earth will be filled, verse, 10, uh, verse 9, with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now the remarkable thing about this promise of hope, of a child and a, uh, coming from the remnant who bring about God's perfect peace and justice in, in, in the world, is that this happens in the midst of the, the, the promises of God's judgment coming on the people of God being locked in because of their refusal to trust him and instead to look to the other nations, God is going to kick them out of the land. And yet, God's promise is still that he's not done with his people yet. And so this section finishes in chapter 12 with a song of hope, with a song of joy, as it looks forward to a hopeful future. In that day, the day when the, when the root has come up from the stump of Jesse, the shoot, in that day, 
You will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. It's actually through God's judgment and justice, the refining fires of exile, that God brings about hope. Even though it's a burnt stump and a small remnant, it's enough for Isaiah to be filled with hope in the midst of despair. God's judgment leads Isaiah to hopeful praise, knowing that God is a God of grace and a God who keeps his promises. And of course, God's judgment of sin ought to lead us too to joyful praise and hope because we know more of this story than Isaiah did, than God's people did, because we know who the child was. We know God's plan. And God's plan was to send this child called Jesus to the earth to deal with sin, to be a perfect judge, and to bring peace and justice to this earth. In Christ, we see God's judgment bring hope. Romans 3.25 puts it like this, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Jesus pays the price for our sins, for all sins. And if we look to him with the eyes of faith, we enter into the promised hope of Isaiah, the hope of God's people led by this promised child into perfect justice and peace. In 1 Peter 2, 24, we read, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Christ's death moves us from death and judgment to life and hope. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, the beautiful thing about what God has done is that in giving us Christ, we no longer stand condemned, but instead stand in the gracious gift of God's righteousness. God no, now no, no longer looks at us and sees Israel and its failures, but Christ and his faithfulness. This is the good news of the gospel, the great exchange of C.S. Lewis calls it. Hearing God's warning of judgment for those who fail to trust in him and yet seeing his plan to bring all to new life 
through faith in Jesus Christ who paid the price that we deserved. What a hopeful promise indeed. And if we accept God's invitation to trust in this promise, that by faith we are ransomed, healed, restored and forgiven, then we too, no matter our circumstances, will find deep in our hearts a well of hope. And so we'll be able to do, as Isaiah encourages at the end of chapter 12, praise God. Let me read those words to finish. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Praise God. Proclaim his name. Great is the Lord. He has saved us through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.